Good morning. We want to welcome everybody to Spruce Grove Community Church today. I just want to read out of Psalms 100, and it says this. It says, Shout with joy to the Lord, O earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him, singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Go into His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And His faithfulness continues to each generation. This morning, as we come into the presence of God, this is the God we choose to worship. And so this morning, we invite everyone to worship with us. So Father God, we thank You that this morning... We can come into this house and we can worship you. And God, we do it with joy in our heart because you are a good God. You are an amazing God. You are a faithful God. And Father, today we come just to give you praise and worship for all that you've done in our lives, God, and for all that you will continue to do in our lives and in this nation, God. So Father, we choose to worship you. You know, as we're worshiping, we might be in a place of desperation personally where we might be thinking... I need a touch from God. And, and that's a great catalyst to press in. But let me tell you, there is more available than you can possibly imagine. And that's what God is trying to take us into. You know, the, the, the mindset of those who don't know God is always conservation. Let me say that again. The mindset of those who do not know the power of God is always conservation because there's all they're always looking into a limited pool. Let me say that one more time. The mindset of those who don't know God is always conservation. If I could just dial back on my consumption, then we got then we can make it through the winter. Then we can make it through the hard times. I want to tell you, that is the mindset of unbelief. That is an anti-Christ mindset. But God is trying to lift us up, lift us up into a place where we understand that there is more than enough, that God says, I can open my hand and satisfy the need of every living thing. I can simply open my hand. I can simply just flick my wrist and satisfy the unimaginable need of billions and billions and billions of people. And we, the people of God, when we worship, we are here to tap into the unmeasurable greatness of who God is. And it begins with taking the limits off of what is possible. So I pray today, Lord, as we worship you, that you would take the limits off what we believe is possible that the amazing abundance of what is available in you would begin to shine and shine and penetrate, Lord, our minds that cannot comprehend the greatness. Lord, we pray that you would open, open up, open up in our minds the capacity to take in the greatness of who you are, the unimaginable capacity. God, lift us up, lift us up. Lift us up into that realm where we believe, where we believe all things are possible. All things are possible. All things are possible to him that believes. Oh, 
You are great. You are great. You know, I felt the heavens dip down several times in the middle of our worship. And that's, that's really what it's about. It's not about emotional energy in the room. It's not about anything else. It's about when, that, when we touch heaven and heaven touches the earth. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And when our hearts will have nothing else except Him, that makes it possible for those heavens to be drawn down to the earth. That's what happens when the heart of the Father is drawn into our worship, when we would have Him and nothing but Him. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, we pray today that we could continue to taste of the beauty and the depth and the wonder that is in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that the richness that is in you would continue to hover over this place. Can you say amen? You know, the nature of faith... But it's, it's if you have, have you ever seen a, the map or what it's like in the outback of Australia? It's dry, desert. It's like the Sahara Desert. Obviously, it's because there's not enough rain. And every land that experiences the ebb and flow of dryness and rain understands that when there is no rain, you have to tap into those pools of existing water that are on the ground. But we understand that it's only a matter of time before they run out. And so it's not a real solution. The real solution is it must come and rain again. And the beauty of rain is that the movements and the currents of the earth is that the the sun picks up millions and millions and millions of gallons of precipitation off the oceans and filters out all the impurities, filters out the salt, filters out everything except for the water itself and takes it over the land and just begins to dump it out. And it's a wonderful picture of the presence of God that brings refreshing to the earth that the one... The one commodity that we can't do without is water. The one commodity we can't do without is the presence of God. And what God has done is he's made the church the vehicle through which God brings the rain to the land, to a dry and weary land. And it's the faith of a people in worship that as we worship, we are releasing that condensation, that humidity, that those, those evaporated water droplets that rise day and night, day and night, day and night, day and like, like a mist, until it fills that place in heaven, the bowls of heaven, and then God pours them over. So, Lord, we pray that we would continue, Lord, to see this earth filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Can you say amen? Father, I want to praise you today for what it is you're doing. Lord, I pray that you would 
refresh our faith this morning. Renew our confidence. Strengthen our grasp on those things that are right, on those things which prevail. <laughs> Lord, on those things which endure, we pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. All right, I'm going to try and weave together a couple of thoughts with uh, a little bit of a testimony from the time I just had and, uh, and try and bring some of the, the ideas of, of what I've just experienced over the last week or so in Ireland and in England into uh, the context that is your life, the context that is your existence right now. What we have in the earth is we have very complex issues. All right, you you look at the uh, North and South Korea issue, you know, you had a war, you've got almost 70 years of division, a state of war. These two these two parts of former Korea are have been up to this point in a continuous state of war against one another. And the divisions, of course, they and, and they weren't so this wasn't really a, a Korean issue. It was a political issue between uh, communism and democracy. It, it, it was an issue between right and left politically, really. And it was uh, uh, an un, untouchable issue because it's always being fueled by principalities and powers in heavenly places. Wherever there's war, wherever there's division, wherever there's hatred, wherever these things are happening, these are manifestations of the uh, agitation of the kingdom of darkness to bring hatred and uh, uh, to, to bring a, uh, the gates of hell to the earth. So what we are called to do is to do something that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. Now, obviously, chances are you are not going to be called upon to settle the Korean issue. Anybody get a call in the last month like, What's your opinion? Did the UN call you to ask you, what should we do about Korea? You know, it's probably not likely our sphere. But even so, uh, the solutions for that sphere are the same solutions for whatever is in, the, in your world. Whether it's division in a family, whether it's tension in a marriage, whether it's issues with, with, uh, at work or whatever it is. The world we live in is governed by a spiritual realm. And that's why Jesus said, that which is flesh is flesh, and that which is spirit is spirit. And he was pointing to the issue that, that if you're going to actually uh, deal with the issues in the flesh, that what's happening in the flesh is simply a manifestation of what's happening in the spirit. If you're going to deal with this stuff effectively, you have to touch it in the realm of the spirit. And, and the, of course, the construct that we go by in terms of understanding that is the things which are seen are made up of the things which are not seen. Exactly. So if you really want to change the things which are seen, you have to be able to touch the things which are not seen. Okay? Now, does that mean I don't have to do anything in the scene? No, no, no. That's not what it means. It means you can do everything necessary in the seen world and still not touch the issue. That's what it means. And so if you really want to do this, you know, have a, have a, a you know, real answers, you've got to touch things in the realm of the Spirit. Where is the division happening? So in the context of, of Korea, of course, 
what the world doesn't know, and actually my friend Lynn Green, who's one of the key leaders in YWAM globally, he just released a letter, which I shared on my Facebook last week, but he was talking about how amused he was at all of the, uh, the different you know, dialogues that were taking place about you know, who was responsible for the suddenly re- reconciliatory tone between North and South Korea here a couple of weeks ago. Like, how did this happen? And of course, there's all these, well, finally the Chinese have started to put on pressure because before they were, you know, behind the scenes, they were supportive of the North Korean regime. And, and so now they've changed their tune. And no, it's, it's Donald Trump because Donald Trump has, you know, taken a attack in terms of diplomacy that was, you know, pushing them into a corner. And it was, no, it was because these tunnels collapsed and, and you know, it's sort of a huge setback. And the, suddenly the North Koreans realized they were, they were in a corner uh, financially, politically, the Poverty, you know, all of these things, and all of these things are factors, and whatever's happening in the natural is a factor, but it's not the catalyst. The catalyst is always something that takes place in the spirit. God is increasing your capacity to create peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. I hate traditional peacekeeping from a carnal standpoint because what peacekeeping ends up doing from a political standpoint. So you, you look at the divide between two people and you pick the middle point in between the, that divide. So the ones with the most outrageous claims, the, the middle point, it tends to go towards their side, right? And, you know, that's often what you have in mediation today. You have, you have these guys who are really more concerned about their reputation as mediators than they are about making actual justice. And so they're always trying to pick a middle line. And, and you always have one party that's more reasonable than the other. And so if you pick the middle point between two parties and one's reasonable and the other one's not, you've actually created injustice. So what does it mean to be peacemakers? What does it mean to create justice? Because when we talk about the kingdom of God, you know, so often in the church we think about discipleship and making Christian converts, and that is absolutely central to what we are doing. But on the other hand, the foundation of His throne is righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. And, and so God is trying to bring justice to the earth, but it may not be that version that's being put forward by so-called progressives. Might not be. I want to pray. Father, give us, give us a capacity, Lord, to bring the justice of heaven down to the earth. And Father, as the trickle down of your justice from heaven is beginning to take place, and we're beginning to see it as a body of people in the nations are rising up, Lord, who know how to enter the court of heaven who know how to bring a cause before the heavenly judge, who know how to bring reconciliation and restoration and redemption from a spiritual standpoint. I pray, God, that that trickle-down effect would trickle into our lives and our churches in Jesus' name. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Now, as you're turning to that, let me, let me share with you a picture. I took a photo. I was speaking in, in Belfast last week, and I took a photo of a basic Google website. You know the basic Google website? There's a Google and the you know red, white, blue, yellow letters. Anybody ever seen that? Okay, good. Talking to the right people. All right, I took a photo of that, and I put it up in front of the folks, and I said, what is this? And they said, this is Google, right? And, and, I, and I, I, I touched the screen, and guess what? Nothing happened. 
Nothing happened. Because what? It's just a photo of a website. It's actually just the form, the external form, the surface form of something that otherwise has dimensions and depths and functionality to it. So you can try to interface with that thing, but there's no real functional way to interface with it. It's just a photo, a reproduction of that thing that otherwise would have an ability to to do something, to provide something. And then on the other hand, I, I opened up to the actual Google website, which looked identical. I mean, every color, the placement of every text, everything, it was identical. But now, when you touch some element on that page, it opened up a door, a window, a portal, into something that was functional. From that point, you had access to the World Wide Web. Suddenly, you had... These weren't just words. This wasn't just a photo. This is a portal. This is an opening that accessed a whole world. Right? And that's a picture of what we can have. In church, in our lives, we can either have the photo of that which is functional or that which is functional. So when the Bible talks about Uh, you know, having a form of godliness and denying the power. He's talking about that imitation, that thing that is a photo, a reproduction, a cheap reproduction of that thing that we saw had functional ability. And so, you know, and we see all these elements, we've touched on this before, that the natural mind, the carnal mind, tries to reproduce that which is spiritual, but it's only natural, so it doesn't go anywhere. And so these guys, these seven sons of Sceva, right, they, they come and they say to this demonized man, come out in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And what they're bringing is a photo of Google, but nothing happens. Nothing good. Right? Because you don't have a complete website here. You're not actually accessing the kingdom of God. You're just showing us a picture. you just got to... Facsimile, that's the word I was looking for, facsimile. So God is saying, all around the world, what I've meant your life to be, all around the world, what I've meant the gathering of my people to be, when two of them are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them, what I've made the church to be all over the world is a manifestation of something that's functional. And accessing. See, when you look at churches around the world that, uh, and I, I was talking to somebody, I said, you know, you can go into one church and that mystical, heavenly atmosphere opens up and you go, oh, wow, how awesome is God. And then you go to other places, they're singing the same songs. And your sense of awe is altogether less. Why is it? Because one is a photo And the other one is an actual interface, a portal. Now, in Genesis 28, we, and you've heard me share on this before, that Jacob falls asleep and he sleeps in that place. And when he wakes up in the morning, he has had a dream. And in the dream, he's seen angels ascending and descending. And he heard the promise of God, the same promise that was given to his father and his grandfather, given to him. And he gets up in the morning and he says, how awesome is this place? This is none other other than the house of God, and this is the gate 
of heaven. And I love that definition because it says, this is the house of God. Now, we think of this, you know, church, it's the house of God. It's a place where we go and we worship God. But it can go be the place where we go and talk about God things, or it can be a portal where angels ascend and descend. It can, go, it can be a place where we go when we pray and we do religious things and where we sing songs and wave our hands. And you can do all of that stuff and yet it not be a portal. It can be a photo, a facsimile, a cheap, powerless representation of something that should be shaking the world. And so what God is trying to do is, is our carnal minds, our natural minds, don't really have the ability to interact with the invisible realm. And so when we come into a place, and initially when God is drawing us into the kingdom of God, we come into a place where this is atmosphere and it touches our hearts and, and we don't really know what it is that touched us. Even when we get born again, we don't even know what happened to us. We think, man, every time I sing this song, or every time, well, when I go to church, and every time, you know, this happens. And so we, we tr- we're trying along the way to figure out what is it that touches me? What is, it, is, what is the magical X factor that is the kingdom? And when you approach that from a natural mindset, then you're going to sort of pull aside a, a series of events, a kind of praying, a, a style, a certain tone in the worship, you know, a lot of screaming or not a lot of screaming. You know, well, if we get to the groaning intercession, that's the thing or, you know, no quietness, serenity. It's like the guy, you know, I remember years ago talking to a guy who, you know, I mean, he he got touched by God so amazingly and it was in a moment of peace, a moment of quietness. And so he decided that's what needs to happen if I just get quiet. But you know what? He got quiet and nothing happened. Because it's not in the quiet and it's not in the noise. It's in a capacity that God is developing in your spirit to access spiritual things. And uh, the natural mind hits connects with the surface of that, what it looks like, what it appears to be. But God is saying, I've given you a spirit. When you became born again, I awakened inside of you a capacity to engage with that heavenly mechanism called the gate of heaven. I've given, he that has joined himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. And what I'm trying to do is make you aware of where the actual connection between you and heaven really is. Because if you can isolate that connection and not give, not begin to think it's, well, it's in this type of song and it's, you know, it used to be in hymns, but it's not anymore, so we can't sing hymns. And now we need to say, well, Hill songs are kind of on the way out. Now we've got to sing Bethel songs because that's, it's none of them and all of them. It's your spirit. But the thing is, the spirit of man is so less tangible than the emotions of man. Right? When God touches you by his spirit, you, there's usually an emotional response. But if you go and you try to stimulate the exact same cascading power of those emotions, you will not get the effect of that spiritual connection. But initially, you don't know that. Man, I remember that time when God came and touched me, and I wept and wept and wept. So I'm going to an event, and I'm hoping I can weep and weep and weep. And you can weep and weep and weep and yet not be changed. So God is 
trying to bypass your awareness of the natural to say, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, and that which is born of the flesh is flesh. What's natural is natural. What's spiritual is spiritual. And what changes the earth is that which is born of God, which comes from the realm of the spirit. So this is why he shares with us words like this. Now, I'm going to go to to chapter 2 and verse... So this is... Paul is actually... Before chapter 2, and we're going to go to chapter 2, but before chapter 2... He's praying for the Ephesians because he understands there's a group of people in Ephesus that become born again. They're pressing into the things of God. So he's praying for them that, that they will mature into being the body of Christ, into being the people of God. So this is what he says to them. He says, verse 15 of chapter 1, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, making mention to you in my prayers. And what am I praying for? Look at verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding in being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of his glory and the inheritance of the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now, there's more to that prayer. We, if you go in chapter 3, you'll pick up more, and it's great, it's powerful. It's all rooted in the knowledge of who he is. But listen, he says, he says, this is my prayer for you, that you could, you, you could understand what it is that happened to you and where it is that it came from. Devotion, mere Christian devotion. Well, I'm trying not to sin, trying not to swear, trying to go to church, trying to read my Bible. That can be great, but it can be entirely ineffective if you think that that's really what this is about. What this is about is in your spirit, God has given you a connection to him, a connection to him. He said, those, the father seeks such that worship him in spirit and truth. He said, what my father's looking for is not people who read the Bible. Should you read the Bible? Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's, the purposes of that are entirely separate from the issue, the central issue, that you need to be connected with the presence of God. You need to be connected in your spirit. You need to know how to worship in spirit and truth. Well, well, what is that? Do I lift my hands? No. Or yes. But that's not it. When you are touched by God, you might cry. You might shout. You might celebrate. You might repent. You might pray. But it's the touch that preceded all those things. And if if you go back in your previous experience and you try to find what was the genesis, what was the, what was the birthing place of that experience, we usually, with our natural minds, can't go far enough. And so what we end up doing is finding, well, you know what? Every time I wear black jeans, I mean, isn't that what we see in history? You see religious cults or sects? What, what have they done? They've actually, they're, they're a snapshot of a time way back when they got serious about their faith. And what they did, they took a photo, a Polaroid, of how they dressed and lived and thought. The answer is carts. If we just stay with horses and carts and black top hats and these kinds of beards, that's the key. That's the natural mindset. The beauty of your spirit is your spirit 
lives and moves and breathes with God and can adapt to every generation and every time and is always fresh and living. And it's not a stale regurgitation of some other era, some other time, a memory that you had of when this is when God was really moving. No, 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 that's not it. Now, right now, can your spirit, can you feel the presence of God? Can you access the presence of God right now, today? So what God has to do, and he's doing this, and this is sort of a sidebar, but he's taking us through a process where he's breaking your confidence in those natural things. It used to be when I, when I you know, fasted for seven days, I usually, man, if I just could just fast for seven days, then I got a breakthrough. Why? Because that's what God was asking from you. Not because that's the, the trick. That's the one-horse pony. We're always trying to find some one-horse pony to access, you know, what's of God. And God is saying, I'm going to resist every confidence in your heart that has evolved through religious service to say, I'm not about your religious service. You can't manipulate me by fasting long enough, praying long enough, shouting loud enough. You know, even, even uh, Esau, he wept. He he with strong tears and crying. And you know what happened? Nothing. Nothing. He couldn't find a place of repentance. But he's he's probably saying, well, last time, last time, you know, this really made something happen. Because last time it was born from your heart. You weren't believing in some external mechanism. If I just, Jesus. You know, we develop all these key styles. If this is the catalyst, no, it isn't. It's in the invisible realm. Because the seen world is made and exists and is changed and is shifted politically, spiritually, socially by what's in the unseen world. And the unseen world is the, is the DNA of the seen world. So God, and so this is what he's praying. He's, he's praying, I'm praying that you could see the real underpinnings, the world behind the world that makes the world work. See, if you're not a programmer and you don't understand the backside of a website, you're limited in what you can do to change that world. But if you understand that there's a whole back end, going forward, what the website does is important, but it's limited... That's the delivery of service. You know, when we feed the poor, that's great. When we evangelize, that's great. When we pray and worship, that's great. When we, when we stand in our, in our political worlds, when we stand in our culture, when we march for Jesus or whatever it is, those are great. But what does is, what is Paul said? He said, he said, you could give your body to be burned, but without love, it's of no value. What is he pointing to? Something pointing to a catalyst that's beyond the, the overt external activity. Do the external activities need to be done? Yes, but if they're not fueled by the Spirit, they're worthless. But generation after generation, the enemy succeeds in creating a people who are oriented around the natural expression. But when God births something in the Spirit and it comes into the earth, that place where it comes into the earth, it becomes a natural expression. That's where the natural mind starts to see that. But really, it was birthed back here. Imagine the foolish thought that, you know, babies begin at birth. What, a, what an idiotic thought, right? Then you could do anything what you want with them before that point because they're not really life. Who would think that? That sickness that we see in the natural, in the world, is resulting 
from the people of God who are, have not seen that that which begins and is the kingdom of God does not begin in the natural. It begins nine months before, metaphorically. So what God is saying is, listen, if you want that initiative that changes your community at this point, you think what we need is evangelism, what we need is this. That, what We do need that, but it's got to be birthed back here. But it doesn't cease to be valuable when it gets here. It continues to be valuable all the way through. But it has to begin in the Spirit. And so Paul is saying, listen, I, I need you to see that what happened to you, what you were touched by, what changed your life, was not just going to church. It wasn't just this or this or this. It was this connection that was established between you and God. So I'm praying that your, your mind, your, wisdom, your, your thinking will be open to the perspective of heaven. So that's what he says there. And then, and then later on, he starts talking about it again. And this is what he says in chapter 2. He says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. What do he say? You he made alive. You he, there was a world beyond your reach, but he made you alive. He gave you the capacity. to. He, he, he resurrected that part of you that could touch the world that was invisible. He made you alive. Made you alive. He breathed into you the breath of life that gave you the capacity to interact with the invisible. In which, he said, before, right, you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you walked according to the course of this world, according to the visible, according to the passions of this earth, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom before we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of God just as others. But now God, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. He made you alive. And, and to what end? And raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So here's the, here's the ultimate reality. I was going to turn to another one, but I really don't have time. In Colossians, it said, set your mind on things above. Say, said, listen, you need to function from a place behind the veil. Who are the sons of God in Romans? As many as are led by the Spirit. What determines... That you, what is the criteria that says to somebody that you are led by the Spirit? Well, well, he's praying in tongues. Well, he's lifting his hands. Well, he's dancing. Well, he's reading the Bible. None of the above. The evidence that you are led by the Spirit is that you are led by the Spirit. That the catalyst for what you do is from the invisible realm. From the invisible realm. I'm telling you, there, there, is, an, there is a volume of capacity that is available to us if we would just stop putting confidence in the flesh. If we just stop believing that if I can just be the best imitator of this spiritual sound that touched me four years ago, I will be that conduit for that spiritual sound. No, you won't. Because if anything from the Spirit touched you, it began before it became a sound. Before it became a sound, it was something that was birthed from the heart of God. It only became a sound when you responded to the Spirit in obedience. That sounds a little too mystical for me. Well, the spiritual king that we've been given is by definition spiritual. It is by definition mystical. It is by definition heavenly and not earthly. It is by definition not natural. But I can't be sure unless it, you know, it has the trappings of evangelical orthodoxy. If that's your safety, 
you're barking up the wrong tree. We've touched about that before, but getting drawn away here. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So God is trying to say, listen, there are things in your life that cause you to be oriented around the natural, and there are things in your life that cause you to be oriented about things above. And what I'm trying to do is reduce the triggers that cause you to be fleshly. Reduce the triggers and increase the triggers that cause you to be heavenly. But you need to realize, to begin with, that that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So what is the solution here? There is no solution. In the natural, there's no strategy. There's nothing you can, I can say, well, if you do these four things, this will ensure you're led by the Spirit. How do you be born again? Yes, you see. Well, see what? Evidently nothing. Yet. Well, how will I know when I see it? You'll know. You know, we are so natural in our minded that we've reduced evangelism to say these four things. And we got people to say those things, and that spiritual catalyst doesn't actually click into them. And we say, well, you're born again because you said the right things. No, it's an uncomfortable, impossible journey. That baby in the womb has no clue what is happening. Be birthed. I don't know what to do. Well, you're in a process you know, but we, we just value intelligence so much, you know. We just think, well, if I just understand, if I comprehend the natural dynamics of what it means to be born again, it'll happen. No, it won't. It is an impossible, it is a birthing. What does a child, what does a, anything that's birthed have to do with, with its origins? Very little. It's a process of life that results in something. So God is trying to Shift us. Where is the kingdom? What is the kingdom? I want to be kingdom-minded. What is that? That which is flesh is flesh, and that which is spirit is spirit. Set your mind on things above. I'm trying to eliminate in your minds the things that you think are the cause of spiritual things which are not. I'm trying to show you the cause of spiritual things, and it's in the invisible realm. I'll tell you one more testimony. It was a few years ago. I was in France, and we were in a worship time in a church in, in about the center of Paris, and this guy was leading worship, and the next day we were talking, and I was saying, you know, last night when you were leading, you, were, you, were, uh, you sang this song, and that right at the end of that song, your electric guitarist began to play this melody, and as soon as I heard that melody, I, it was just like that was a portal. That was, there was sound on that that was so amazing. You know, you should have gone with that. And then I said, and then you, you went to the next song a few seconds later, and you, you sang the next song. And at the end of that song, the, the saxophone player started to play this, this line. And again, that door opened up. I said, you, you, you should have just built on that. And he looks at me and he says, how did you know? I don't know how I knew. I just knew. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees when they said, give us some tangible proof that what you're saying is valid? He said... He that wills to do the will of God shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it's of God or myself. There's no assurances in the natural. If, if you just stand in the name of Jesus on the end of it, that makes it kingdom. No, it doesn't. So God has created. Let me tell you, and I'm, I'm speaking to every generation here, but the people that are going to get this are the younger generation. Not because they're better, but because there's a grace upon the next generation that requires they must. Therefore, they will. But my heart is I want to run 
with what is about to unfold. And so I am, I'm saying, Lord, I want, my, I want my teeth to sink as deeply into the things of the Spirit. I want, you, I, I want to know what the, the triggers are of faith, the intangibles of the kingdom of God, so that I can go with this thing. As you watch me more and more and more, more and more you're going to see this. And as a evidence of that, I remember last testimony. I was doing a show with this leader on our television show, and we were talking about just some kingdom things. It was just normal. And I got this letter from this man. He was livid. Who do you think you are talking about all this coded language, this mumbo-jumbo? You know, he was like, why don't you just talk normal? And I was thinking, well, we were. But because it was spirit, he couldn't put his hooks into it. Because everything he had been told and taught in and trained was once, once, not once conception had happened, but once birth. Once things had entered into the natural realm, then they, the criteria that it looked like then is the only thing he had to hook onto. And I was taught, we were talking about things before that point. And so he couldn't, I don't know what this is. And many of us are in that place where you come into a church like this or you come into a conference, you come into an event, and God is releasing life in the Spirit. And we, want, we feel the life, so we're desperately looking, what is this? And how, how can I be a part of it? How can I replicate it in my life? And every effort that you make in the natural to replicate or connect is wrong. Well, why, why would God do it that way? To diminish you and increase Him. To say these things cannot be had by intelligence. These things cannot be had by human hands. They're entered into by humility and desperation. Humility and desperation. So, Father, I pray today that we would have the humility and the desperation to know, God, that only you can train us. Only you, Holy Spirit, teach us. Lord, give us the spirit of revelation as Paul prayed for the new believers in the knowledge of you, that we may know where the genesis of spiritual things are. God, we, we have this ability to say, well, this is good and that is not good. But Lord, we want to know things, what they are before they come into the realm of the earth. So at the end of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, they tried to get back inside the wardrobe. And they came back out and said, Professor, we, we went in this way, but like, we, it, it, it didn't open back up. He's like, yeah. I, I imagine it was a one time you got in that way. Later on in this series, I think it's the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. They're sitting in a room. There's a painting on the wall. And then the magic starts to fill the air. And Lucy's like, oh, I know what this is. I know what this is. I know what this is. And there's an unbeliever in the room. And he's like, what is going on? He's picking it up as well. But she's aware of that sense of traveling into the next place. C.S. Lewis wrote this about the time of World War II. And this urgency that I feel, or the stirring that I feel is, God has made this aware and available since at least then. Because a man who knew it and understood it released it for a generation. And we have that testimony to today. So no matter how old you are today, you have at least the promise of that access from that moment. And I feel like God is saying, even now, even now, where you're at in your life, regardless of what's gone on with you to this point, there is still the promise of access. But it's not in all these other structures. It's in a heart that's looking for God and willing to jump and go, I think that's it. And that's who this house is supposed to be. That's who we are. That's what we're called to do. 
That's who you are. God said you have access to the heavenly places, so you've got to learn to go after it. And it means recognizing where the magic is appearing and going for it. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking that you would refresh and awaken every part of our spirit that has been hungering for you, God, even the things that have gone quiet where we experienced you in the past and we say we want it again, God. I'm praying that you would awaken us, bring us to life again, God, cause our faith to surge again, God. I pray for a responsiveness in us, God, whether it's quiet, whether it's loud, whether it's sitting, whether it's dancing, whatever it is, God, whether it's giving, we're saying we want to respond. In Jesus' name, we declare that you are faithful. You are faithful and a way is made. And so we're going to respond in Jesus' name. So the question is for you today, what is your wardrobe? What is the thing that initially gave access but isn't anymore? Was it a verse that you used to read? Was it a particular song? What is it, you know, uh, was it what is it you think gave you access to the realm of God? He says, you get access by my spirit. And at first you thought it was a song or if it was a way of praying or a way of doing or a particular church, but he's saying, listen, I've closed the typical door, not because there's something wrong with that door, but I don't want you oriented around that particular door only. And there are people in this church that God has called here and said, listen, I, I want to introduce you to the things of heaven, and the things of my kingdom. And when you came in here, you felt that breath of life in heaven. And, you, and at first you might think, well, it's this, it's this part, it's this part. And what happens is when you set your affections on that particular part, I will close that door in order to train you that it's not that one. Today it might be the wardrobe, tomorrow it might be the picture, it might be that song, it might be that verse, it might be in quiet or it might be loud, it might be shouting, it might be dancing, it might be laying on the floor, it might be fasting, it might be praying, it might be, it might be the testimony of somebody you ran into on the train or the bus. Sis, are you open? Is, is, is God speaking through a hundred thousand different ways, and we're receiving them all. So, Father, if there's a frustration in your life, if there's a sense that God has closed a door that you used to have, that this was the thing that always resolved the tension, the frustration in my life. If I did this, and then everything was okay, and it's not happening anymore, it's because God is saying, come up higher. God is just saying, come up higher. I want to introduce you to more dynamics of my kingdom than the thing you're being anchored to right now because it's not about that one thing. I want to give you access to my presence. Let's just present ourselves before the Lord as children. Present ourselves as ones who say, Lord, I just want to be taught by your Holy Spirit. I just want to be taught. I thought I understood the kingdom. I thought I knew what this is about. But I just want to be taught by your Spirit. I want to run with the younger generation. I want to run with the next generation. I want you to show me. Show me. Show me, God. Show us, Lord. Show us. Holy Spirit. So as we're closing today, I'm going to read the, uh, the words to the bridge because I feel it's so critical. It says, pierce my heart, pierce my soul. With your sword, divide the waters, purify my thoughts and my desires. Have your will, come and take control. The thing about the kingdom of God 
and the frustration we feel when we've come from one level and we can't seem to make the jump and there's this increasing tension in our life and you think it's it's because of this job situation or it's because of finances or it's because of this person and because of this this, uh, persecution or, 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 or it's none of those things. But God is bringing an end to something inside of you in order to bring you to something new, a revelation, an understanding. So our confidence is this, that he who began a good work in me, he who said, I will train you to be a son of God. I will train you in my ways which you don't know. Your confidence is not in your ability to apprehend his ways but that his ways would be revealed to you. So, Lord, we say we put ourselves back in your hand, and we say, you know, Lord, you know, and I trust what you're doing, that what you began, you know how to finish. What you began, you know how to finish. Bless you.